Nation. Welcome into another episode of Preview in the Pokes. I'm your host, Josh Criswell. Got a lot to get into today. Going to take a quick look back at last week's loss to San Jose State, as well as take a look ahead at a big-time border war showdown with Colorado State coming up on Saturday. But before we do that, joined right now by a very special guest, Kevin Lytle from the Colorado and covers CSU for the paper down there. Does an excellent job. Me and my co-host David Graff going to break down the Wyoming side at the end of the show. But, you know, let's start things off. Kevin, it, from an outsider's perspective, seems like Colorado State's been on as much of a roller coaster as anybody in the country this year. Uh, you know, what are your overall thoughts at where the Rams stand at this point in the season? Yeah, roller coaster is the best description for it. Um, it started really badly, you know, got whipped by South Coast State, uh, you know, an FCS, a good FCS, but an FCS team. And then uh, really the bad one, really bad one was home loss to Vanderbilt. And you're thinking, oh, man, this season could spiral out of control. Then all of a sudden they go and pretty much whip Toledo and that Toledo the week before had could have, should have beat Notre Dame on the road. Uh, CSU then had Iowa down in the second half. So it's been really weird. Uh, but that. You know, that kind of is an encapsulation of this team. They, in pockets, do things really well, but in the other pockets, will make some mistakes and, and do things poorly that have led to some losses. So, so yeah, it's a very up-and-down team that, you know, at times can be very good, but at times can be a little ugly. Right, and I guess, you know, before we dive into the what's going on on the field, I got to talk about the coaching situation a little bit. It's kind of been a unique year, to say the least, watching, you know, Steve Adesia's situation from afar. Um, I know there's was an injury last week where he was in the press box, maybe he came down at the end of the game. Um, and then, obviously, the clock management issues, uh, I guess, about two weeks ago now. Uh, you know, what's the overall feeling in Fort Collins about him? Yeah, it's uh... – kind of rides the roller coaster of the season, of course, as, as fans will tend to do. It's a tough one. And, and some of it isn't, you know, Steve Adazio's fault. He wasn't a very popular hire, you know, a couple of years ago when that happened, uh, you know, he's was basically a 500 coach at Boston college. So people weren't um, terribly excited. So that kind of erases a little bit of a honeymoon period. And, and, you know, again, this isn't his fault at all there, you know, there were some other people that fans wanted, which, you know, again, is kind of unfair to a coach, but it's part of how you're viewed. And then, yeah, last year, you know, CSU only got to play three games or four games. I should say they went one and three, the one win was Wyoming's that, um, you know, helped, you know, keep things okay. But I think everyone was kind of, you know, let's wait and see. And then just the up and down has been frustrating to people because there is talent. And then, like you say, you mentioned the Utah state game, just a complete bundled, clock mismanagement, whatever you want to call it at the end of the game, you know, pretty unacceptable at this level, um, especially from, you know, a, a veteran coach is Adazio's 11th year. And then, yeah, last week was just weird. I uh, found out basically right before the game that he was going to be in the press box due to a, basically a leg injury that was limiting his mobility. But then in the fourth quarter, he was back down the field. Um, after the game, he said that was the plan all along. Not certain if that's totally true, but but basically kind of pain management and how long he could be on his feet. He, he looks better this week. So I think he'll be on the sideline, but yeah, just a very weird, you know, it feels like a lot has been packed into these first eight games. No doubt. You know, looking at what's going to happen on the field this weekend, one of the things that stands out to me immediately and kind of looking back to where Wyoming has struggled defensively at times this season, it seems to come against quarterbacks that can run the football. And CSU definitely has one of those in Todd Sencio. And he's uh, I think he's definitely going to present some problems. We saw last week what a mobile 
quarterback can do to a Wyoming defense that's been rather dominant this year. Uh, you know, what's the thing that makes him so dangerous, obviously, aside from his threat to break plays with his legs? Yeah, Todd is a guy that's made huge growth. He, he was another, you know, last year fans were not sold on him. He started the first game last season, really struggled, and then it was kind of in and out through the, the next three games, and, and he frankly did not look very good. And he's made huge strides. You know, he's in the 60s in completion percentage, which was the big knock, is that he was just inaccurate. He's very steady type of guy. So he's really good on, on kind of the short and intermediate routes. They've still kind of struggled to hit big plays. You know, they think that's in them, but they haven't done consistently, but you mentioned hit him with the legs. They don't do a lot of designed runs called runs for him, but he has real good field vision as a runner and will, he's happy to escape the pocket. He throws pretty well on the run and Boise state really struggled with that last week, especially in the first half um, I remember, I think at CSU's touchdown drive, there's a third and long and they just lost contain. And he ran, I think it was a 19 yard run and, and he, he can do that. So it's definitely going to be a key of keeping him in the pocket. Cause he, uh, the amount of times he extends drives um, when a play kind of falls apart has been significant. I'm sure having one of the best tight ends in the country to throw to hasn't hurt that development at all. You know, Trey McBride's been absolutely outstanding this season. Um, in my opinion, that's a guy that we could very well be seeing playing on Sundays someday. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was just named a, a Mackey semifinalist uh, for best tight end in the country. I think, you know, he has a pretty good chance to, to be in that mix. So, you know, um, statistically, I think it's he's probably a best tight end and yeah, he's just a security blanket. You know, that guy that he'll make tough contested catches. Um, frankly, he made one of the best catches I've seen last week that ended up being called back for a holding penalty, but he's a guy that um, can do a lot. He's also a really capable and willing uh, blocker as well. He enjoys that side of the game. He, he plays with an edge. So yeah, Trey, you know, he could have gone last year and would have been drafted, uh, but he wanted to come back, uh, improve on some things, improve his draft stock. I think it's working. I mean, it looks like he's probably going to be a top three round pick. Uh, and, and yeah, a year from now, he'll be playing on Sundays for sure. Yeah, between him and Derek Deese Jr. at San Jose State, I think the Mountain West might be one of the most slept-on conferences in the country. When Some it comes good to tight ends, ends. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, going over the other side of the ball, something that stood out to me about Wyoming last week is really for the first time since they blew out Ball State in mid-September against San Jose State, even in the loss, especially in the second half, that offensive line really kind of exerted its dominance in a way that we hadn't seen in over a month. Uh, obviously, I think Colorado State poses a much stiffer challenge as far as the front seven and defensive line goes. Uh, you know, what's the biggest thing that the Cowboys need to account for with that group? Yeah, I mean, that it's going to be interesting because it's in a way strength on strength. Obviously, Wyoming will run it and CSU has been very good against that. Um, they, they have – some really talented guys. Scott Patchen is another. He'll probably play on Sundays. You know, Man Manny Jones, Devin Phillips. They have some really good defensive linemen, and then they have pretty good depth. And they're just they're a very attacking unit. They're um, really aggressive as a you know a front seven, and they've been very effective at that. So um, I'm really fascinated to see how that goes because whoever kind of wins that battle, I think that's a pretty good starting point on who's going to win that game. 
No doubt. Last one for you. Going to put you on the spot here. What's your prediction for uh, the 2021 installment of the Border War? It's always tough to pick this one, man. There, there have been times where you know CSU is down and, and goes and beats a pretty good Wyoming team, and vice versa, or a you know a down Wyoming team will go kick the crap out of a good CSU team. Um, I think CSU will win. I don't feel you know supremely confident in that, but. Uh, uh, you know, if I have to have a score, I guess it'll probably be pretty low scoring. I'd say like a 20 to 13. That sounds about right to me. Kevin, really appreciate it. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Lytle. Kevin, really appreciate it. And I'll see you out there on Saturday. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. See you Saturday. All right. Now, as we do every week, going to be joined right now by David Graff, co-host of the YO Sports Podcast. Going to take a quick look back, a look ahead, and just talk all things Cowboys football. David, it was an interesting one out there in San Jose, your old stomping grounds last Saturday. Um, You know, obviously another loss for the Cowboys, four straight, disappointing. But I think there were a lot of positive signs that came out of that. What, What would you think? You know, what was your biggest takeaway from last week's game? My biggest takeaway from last week's game was that it was the first time in a long time that we've seen some real fight from the UW football team in terms of they could have quit multiple times throughout the game and just, you know, packed it in, but they didn't. They came back. I mean, they were close there. That final possession was maybe not not what you would hope to see from a football team especially, you know, getting sacked a couple times there. But I was impressed with just, you know, the will to not give up, even though obviously it didn't result in a W on the on the scoreboard. How about you? You were at the game. What What was your impression? Yeah, you know, you mentioned something that kind of brings up something I want to talk about, that last drive. It's obviously, I think it kind of symbolized, you know, what this offense, when it struggles and when it can thrive, because – but really the past two quarters leading up to that, they'd really dominated San Jose State, especially up front. I mean, they were averaging close to three yards per carry near the end of the second quarter, and they finished – I don't have the stats in front of me. I know Xavier Valade finished over seven yards a touch, 172 yards, but just a really strong finish. And what they seem to be doing there is they're playing with a little bit more tempo than they usually do. And not necessarily like your hurry up, you know, we're going to run the line and snap the ball. But what they do is they'd hand it off, get six or seven yards, get right back up to the line of scrimmage and do it again. And that's what was able to set up, you know, both of these touchdown catches by Isaiah Nair, especially the last one there where they were able to drive down the field and keep the game going. And then you kind of saw where they struggle on that last drive. You know, whenever the defense knows what you're going to do, you get in that situation – they know you're going to have to throw the ball. They bring the heat, and you saw it. It resulted in two straight sacks, and you knew it was never going to be a game-winning drive at that point. But I think it's something maybe to take away moving forward into this one. I know the Cowboys aren't going to go full-on, you know, hurry-up mode, which I wouldn't expect them to, but I would like to see them maybe implement some more of that up-tempo style of their – the way that they play offense, don't get away from what they do, but just get away from the run, huddle, run, huddle. They know you're passing on third down. It's another three and out and we're punting it away. So I think playing with a little bit more tempo, not hurry up, but just playing with that sense of urgency, I think could go a long ways for this team. Yeah, it certainly could. The numbers for Xavier Valde, I pulled them up while you're talking there. 
22 carries for 172 yards, 7.8 yards a tote there. That's the Xavier Valade that University of Wyoming fans have become accustomed to. That's the guy that they know that they're familiar with, that they're used to cheering for on Saturdays. So it was really good to see him, you know, burst out and get the ball 20 plus times. I mean, for start to get the ball 20 plus times, you got to get first downs. You got to extend those drives. You can't be going three and out. So that was really, that was a positive. That was, it was the first time all season that the Pokes have really been able to run the ball, you know, successfully when, within the flow of their offense, which was something that, uh, you know, positives, positives for sure. But uh, the tempo, going to the tempo, you you got me on that one. You got me. I said that I didn't know whether or not it was because of the coverages that you see in those situations, but it was successful, and it kept San Jose State on their toes. And the biggest thing is it prevented them from substituting, and those guys just aren't fresh, you know. And it, it's the same thing when somebody does it against Wyoming. Wyoming rotates that defensive line, you know, like it's like it's a hockey substitution fairly often. So it can be successful. It was Saturday. Hopefully they keep that in the offense, keep something, you know, maybe like you said, you don't have to go out there after the opening kick and be running up tempo, but you know, wouldn't hurt to see it a little bit more often going forward. What did you think of the defense? On Saturday, they gave up 27 points. It's not, you know, the best game, but it's not a horrible game. What what was your takeaway from that side of the ball? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was that throughout the course of the game, I thought that UW's defense matched up really well against San Jose State's offense. I think the problem they ran into is there were just so many of those big plays, almost all of them involving Nick Nash or Derek Deese Jr. at tight end. I mean, there was one play I remember uh, specifically where I, I think San Jose State had a first down near midfield and there were two or three Wyoming players in the backfield would have had a sack that would have set up a second and long backup in SJSU territory. And then all of a sudden Nick Nash breaks a 48 yard run. And that was kind of the recurring theme of the whole game as they'd play pretty solid. I mean, we saw it down there at the end, even when they struggled in the second half, they got the stop they needed to to give Wyoming another chance with the ball in their hands. But I think the biggest thing was just the tackling. I don't think they necessarily played bad. I just think they had bad tackling out there, which obviously that's a big part of defense. But I think at least from like an assignment and that sort of thing, there were a couple of blown coverages. But I think they played overall pr pretty sound. No penalties on both sides of the ball. So that's a big thing, especially the way this team's been playing. But I think, you know, the defense, it concerns me because of what they're going to see again on Saturday. You know, Todd Sencio, another dynamic guy, probably likes to throw it a little bit more than Nash, but he is more than capable of pulling it down and taking it. 20, 30, 40, 50 yards of the house. And then Trey McBride. I mean, I thought Derek Deese Jr. was a monster, but this guy's given him a run for his money. Never, uh, never necessarily thought we'd have two NFL tight ends tearing it up in the Mountain West, but I think both of those guys are going to be playing on Sunday sooner before later. Trey McBride will be a problem for the Cowboys on Saturday. He, I mean, he was a problem last year in Fort Collins. On the Pokes offense, Aiden Eberhardt went down season-ending leg injury last Saturday against the Spartans. He's a Colorado guy, so I'm sure he's 
extra bummed that he's not going to be able to play in this game against Colorado State. But with the loss of Everhart, how, how do you think that affects the offense going forward? Yeah, I think it's a huge loss, not just because it, it seems like I know the numbers might not always reflect it, but it seems like every single time the Cowboys need a third down conversion or a big play to keep a drive or a game alive, it almost always seems like they're going to Aiden Eberhardt as that safety valve. So it's going to be a big loss on the field, obviously going to be a huge loss just from a leadership standpoint, one of the biggest leaders on this team. Uh, but I think if there is any silver lining, and I hate to, you know, just trying to find a positive here is really all we're doing. But I think one thing that this might enable is, you know, at the end of the day, this is a team that started the year with Mountain West title aspirations. Those are pretty much out the window at this point, still fighting for bowl eligibility. But I think now's a good time really to see what you have moving forward. You got a lot of really talented young guys at receiver that haven't really been relied upon heavily yet. You know, Alex Brown listed as Aiden Eberhardt's backup. I'd also expect to see Josh Cobbs getting a lot more touches. And then also we might finally see Jalen Sargent, the fre true freshman receiver we heard about all throughout fall camp but haven't seen him on the field yet you're getting to that home stretch only four games left so he can get out there get some playing time not burn that red shirt so I, I think it's a huge loss obviously but I think if you have to find something positive uh, to take away from it I think it just has to be getting some opportunities to these young guys because next year Everyone knows that Isaiah Nair is going to be one of the top receivers in the Mountain West and arguably the country. You don't really necessarily know what you have behind him as far as who's going to be that true go-to number option that uh, Aiden Eberhardt's really been all season long, no matter who's been at quarterback. Yeah, I think you touched on something really important. With, you know, without Aiden Eberhardt for the rest of the season, you get a chance to hopefully see some of these young guys. And I think Jalen Sargent was a guy that the coaching staff was really hyping up heading into the season, and we're at that point where he can play now. <laughs> Got a game coming up in his hometown in just a couple weeks. Exactly, but we're at that point where unfair or unfair, he can play and there there is no repercussions whatsoever for the coaching staff. He can get those four games in and they can see what they have in him in an actual game. So I think we could be seeing a lot of him. I'd also like to see Alex Brown. I think he's really good and seems to get open. Now, he doesn't catch the ball as well as maybe you would like, but he seems to find ways to get open, and that's something that Aiden Eberhardt did really well. And so maybe Alex Brown with more reps out there on the field – he can get those touches, get those catches, and start making some plays. No doubt. Just a quick side note, being a native of the Lone Star State myself, got to love the uh, the Texas flair going on at receiver. I think uh, the Cowboys are onto something there. No doubt. No doubt. Two, a couple of Texas boys going up making plays for a Texas kid at quarterback in Levi Williams. So the whole offense, you know, we, we just got to – Got to figure that one out. Are any of the running backs from Texas? I know DQ James is. And Titus Swin. And Titus Swin. Fort Worth guy. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're right. So, you know. It's really a, turning it's, into Texas West over here. I love we're, it. I we're love close. It. We're <laughs> close to uh, University of Texas, North El Paso, North Amarillo up here. 
<laughs> in Laramie. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Speaking of one of those Texas guys, couldn't close this thing out with obviously talking about uh, fair or not the position that everyone had their eyes on, and that's the quarterback spot. Levi Williams finally given the reins of the offense last week. Didn't waste any time naming him the starter for this one going forward. We touched on it last week. I think it's just kind of like I mentioned with the receiver spot. You got to see what you have at some point with these young guys. So I'll give my thoughts on it here in a second, but just watching it from afar on TV, you know, what were your thoughts on how Levi just kind of managed the offense out there on Saturday? From afar, watching it on the broadcast, I thought that Levi did – you know, a bang up job. I wouldn't say that he was excellent. I wouldn't say he was bad. The two interceptions were, they were tough. They were egregious, but you know, the two touchdowns are the high point of the offense for the last month. So it was an absolute roller coaster, roller coaster in San Jose. I, I thought that, you know, the fact that they were able to run the ball helped him tremendously. It helped the offense look a lot better. It seemed to help everybody on the offensive side of the ball get into a rhythm. So that was good. I honestly, I would like to say that I was super impressed with Levi, but those two interceptions were really, really tough, really tough. But yeah. You were in, in. You were at the stadium. What was? What do you make of how Levi played? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think he had a really solid performance, but those two interceptions were also really, really bad. Uh, you know, especially that uh, that second one. That's a drive. That if that's a touchdown, that's the difference in the game right there. On that one, though, I will say, not you know making excuses about it or anything, but there was an insane. Uh, gust of wind that came through mid play on that one so situation where obviously it wasn't a good throw because it didn't even get anywhere close to the receiver but as soon as he let that go it seemed like there was a huge gust of wind I was talking to someone that was in the stands and uh, basically he kind of just put way too much air on and it seems like the wind just kind of held that one up and really you know obviously you can't be making that throw at that point but it was a I thought it was a decent performance, you know, 12 of 22, while not spectacular. It's also the first time that they've finished above 50% passing since Mountain West play started. So you got to take step forward somewhere. Um, and like you mentioned, I think the running game really helped also him with the running game. I mean, you take away the sacks. He had fifth, over 50 yards rushing on the game. Uh, those two late sacks kind of hurt those numbers, dropped him into the thirties. But I thought overall, I mean, I thought he did a good job of just managing the offense. He had the two mistakes, but aside from that really just, it seemed like, especially not to harp on the uh, the up-tempo theme too much, but that was another thing where it seemed like he was able to get a little bit more momentum during those situations, especially whenever they'd be coming off, you know, two or three, eight, nine, ten-yard runs. Then it, it just seemed like he was so much more comfortable out there than he'd ever been this season. Yeah, Levi in his, in his infamous presser said that the, the two-minute was the ace in the hole And I don't know if it's the ace in the hole, but it's uh, the bullet in the chamber right now because it's what's working. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. I think it's – it's something where it's not not what Wyoming does, right? So it's – and 
change can be difficult sometimes, but I also think it's one of those things. We saw it last week. I think it was really promising that they didn't go to it just when they needed to. They went to it, you know, middle of the third quarter, early in the third quarter there, and it really sparked the offense. I think that's – I think that – and we talked about it last week, just the fact that you're going to Levi at quarterback. And then also it seemed like there was also a lot – I don't want to say anything bad about the running back by committee because Titus Swin, DeWine McNeely have been phenomenal. But I think you saw a little bit more of leaning on Xavier and Valaday as the workhorse. And so I, I think it's just promising – to see Wyoming at least trying things different. Hasn't resulted in a win yet, but I think it's at least something to feel positive about, just the fact that they're trying new things. No doubt. The fact that they were trying new things, I don't know if that made Coach Bowl uncomfortable or what, but I was texting you during the game, and the thing that they kept showing during the broadcast was they kept showing Bowl a lot, a lot more than Brent, Brent Brennan from San Jose State. And Bull did not look comfortable. He, he And he was fired up, whether it was a good play or a bad play. He was showing a lot of emotion. Did you notice that at all, you know, being there in the in the stadium? Not too much. They were on the opposite sideline of us, so I didn't have too good of a, a up-close view of just what those emotions were. But I, I can definitely see it. I think there was definitely more emotion, um, at least even after the game. Uh, it seem, just seems like there's a lot more hope. I think at this point than there was, you know, a week and a half ago. You would hope so after, you know, you put up three points against New Mexico. I, I'm not sure I'm going to get over that as an alum for a long time, but alas, it's a big game this weekend. It's Colorado state. What are your expectations for the, for the border war this weekend? I'm excited. It's uh, it's going to be my very first border war, so I'll have to get out there early and uh, scope the scene out. But I- I'm excited. I've heard nothing but good things. Uh, I said it on a Keith Kelly show earlier this week, but it reminds me just hearing the players and coaches talk about the game. It reminds me a lot of the Battle of the Piney Woods that I covered down in Houston, uh, one of the longest rivalries in all of Texas high, uh, college football between Sam Houston and Stephen F. Austin. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where it seems like people that aren't necessarily involved in it directly don't understand the gravity of it. But you talk to everyone that's been a part of the game. And unless you grew up in Wyoming or Colorado, it almost always seems to exceed your expectations. So I think uh, that's one thing that I'm looking forward to. As far as the game goes, I've uh, – what is it, four weeks in a row now that I've been wrong with my predictions. So I might hold off on it this week, but uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a great environment. Yeah, it certainly is. My first border war game as a student, Josh Allen and the Pokes could not throw the ball, so they just decided to line Josh Allen and shotgun, and he just ran it for the entire second half. That That's all they did. Like, it was – it was remarkable. It was in the snow. It was a great game. But so definitely a lot of good memories around this game. The next year, Sean Chambers burst onto the scene in this one. So it, you never know what you're going to see in the border war. You never, ever know. So maybe just not doing a prediction isn't – it's not a bad thing because why would you want to predict anything that could happen in this game? What, what do you think – You've seen Colorado State enough times that I'm sure watching them on TV. What, what do you think, besides the tight end, will 
present problems for the pokes. Like I mentioned earlier, I think the tight end and the quarterback position are the two biggest things. You know, we look back throughout this year where the Cowboys have struggled at times. Uh, and you look at games like UConn, Tyler Pomachan, Matt McKay at Montana State, and then obviously Nick Nash last week at SJSU. So I think really that uh, that quarterback position, we haven't really seen them shut down a dual threat guy yet this year. So I think maybe it could be a blessing in disguise just the fact that they had so much trouble last week. And I think, you know, you'll see a lot of similar things. So I think, you know, that's probably the biggest area. And then as for the Colorado state side, maybe Wyoming just needs to get them in some clock management situations and they'll be feeling good in this one. (laughs) I will, uh, before we go here, I will make one prediction since somebody always seems to do something wild and somebody seems to make a name for themselves in this game. I'm going to predict that Jalen Sargent, going back to our conversation from earlier, he finally gets to play now that there are only four games left and there's no fear of losing his redshirt eligibility. I think he's going to come up with a big catch somewhere in this game on Saturday. I like it. I like it. Any, uh, anything else on the border war before we close this thing out? Go Pokes. That's, that's all I got. There we go. You've been listening to Preview in the Pokes. I'm Josh Criswell. He's David Graff. Make sure to download, listen, and subscribe to Preview in the Pokes and the Y.O. Sports Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And also make sure to go to yosports.net for all things Cowboys football. Ride for the brand.